Let me begin by telling you a little about yourself. This is how author and Unitarian minister Forrest Church, the late Forrest Church, in the preface to his book, Lifecraft, begins his book. He goes on to say, to one extent or the other, the following is true. You are self-conscious about your appearance. You feel guilty about the things you have done or failed to do. You sometimes have a hard time accepting yourself or forgiving others. You are insecure sexually. You are a less than perfect parent or a less than perfect child of imperfect parents or both. You're a frustrated husband, wife, or partner, or you are frustrated not to be a husband, wife, or partner. You have secrets which might betray you, or which you have secrets which you might betray, or which might betray you at any moment. However successful you are, you fail in ways that matter, both to you and to those you love. Beyond all this, your life is stressful, your happiness fleeting, your health insecure. You worry about aging. You sometimes worry about dying. More than once, your heart has been broken by betrayal or loss. And however successful you may be, however deep your faith, when the roof caves in, you shake your fist at heaven, the fates, or life itself. You beg for an answer to the question, why? Why this? Why me? Why now? You wonder what your life means. How does he know us so well? Chances are that you spend a good deal like I do of your life, dwelling on the things I read in just a little over a minute. So much time dwelling on these things. Why do our shortcomings have so much power over us? Most of us live life assuming that if others knew the real you, well, then they would have nothing to do with us. And anytime we hear something critical about ourselves or we experience rejection, deep down we say, yeah, I knew it was true. No one could love someone like me. This, of course, carries over into our relationship with God. How could it not? Maybe that's why we're often hesitant to move deeper in that relationship with God. We avoid spiritual practices that bring more intimacy with the divine for fear of being exposed before God as the frauds we know we are. And instead, we look to religion to build us up, to convince us otherwise that we're not the failures we think we are. Just a few easy self-help steps, and you can live your best life now. So we come to church, to God, looking for that spiritual pat on the back attaboy, hoping the darkness will go away, but it doesn't. It never does. Maybe you felt that sting of guilt as our scripture was being read today. The story of the death of Jesus. It's not a text we read much anymore. If we do, it's usually around Lent and usually only on Good Friday if we attend the Good Friday service. Sometimes we avoid it because we don't want to hear that story. Easter's much better with the celebration, the fancy clothes, the resurrection and the hidden eggs. The cross of Christ, many find it to be a morbid symbol, one that promotes unhealthy shame and guilt. 
And I admit I sometimes feel the same. Thinking about the death of Jesus leaves me feeling, well, terrible. That I'm unworthy, that my sin killed my God. I feel bad enough already. I don't need to carry that guilt. But what if? What, what if the cross of Christ isn't at all about producing guilt, but about freeing us from it? What if the cross isn't an indictment of our sinfulness, but a repudiation of it? That is, Jesus died not because of us, but for us, not as a result of our sin, but to show us the path to finally free us from fear of sin and these things that weigh us down so much, to show us that we can overcome the fear, that life is possible. On the cross, Jesus cries out one of the most emptiest, one of the most human of all cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever wanted to just cry that out before God? That's how he felt. That's how we feel. Those moments when life is just too dark, too dark for God. God has left us to die here alone. Jesus entered that emptiness, that dark wood, the emptiness we all feel. Yet in that moment of emptiness, something new begins to happen. Now, Jesus may not have found God, but God finds Jesus. And there on the cross, as Jesus breathed his last, God took over in the emptiness and opened the door to life. And several times during his ministry, before his death, Jesus would teach his disciples some variation of the phrase, if you want to find your life, if you want to save your life, then lose it. If you want to lose if, if you lose your life, then you will find it. The finding is in the losing. On the cross, Jesus loses it all, his very breath, and yet still life emerges. And in this, this we see the message of salvation. Get empty and God will find you. When things aren't going right in our lives, our instinct is to take something, to do something, to eat something, drink something, buy something, get something. There's always something new, something more we could do to cram something into that void. But the void cannot be filled, not with those things. The void is there for a reason, a space for God, a space where God longs to dwell in us and we must clear space. Martin Luther wrote the quotes on the front of your bulletin, God created the world out of nothing. And as long as we are nothing, God can make something of us. And so I wonder, have you ever been walking through a dark wood and then all of a sudden you are in the midst of a thick forest and then you come to this clearing, a field that's natural or been cleared but after the thickness of the wood, it feels like a whole new world. Wide open, it's bright, the sky is clear. No matter the light of the moon, it feels like the sun is out. What was once obscure is now, is now, now can be seen. Your eyes are opened. 
And you can breathe for a moment deeply again. The fear you felt in the darkness goes away as you look up at the night sky and see stars you did not even know existed. The vastness of the heavens stretched before you. When you finally cross the field and you enter back into that dark wood, you enter renewed, perhaps even inspired. The emptiness is real, but you feel full again. In the reading that Marty read from us from Parker Palmer, he talks about this emptiness as if it were a gift to him. His intellect was useless, he said. My emotions were dead, my will impotent, my ego shattered. But from time to time, deep in the thickets of my inner wilderness, I felt a presence, a presence of something I knew could stay alive. Even when the rest of me wanted to die, that something was my tough, my tenacious soul. And we are so good at being full, filled with good things and bad things. So stuff that for many of us, we haven't seen our soul in a very long time. It's buried underneath all our good intentions and self-help and our fears and our failures and our depression and worries. But here's the truth of the cross this morning, the good news, you are unworthy. Your sin is great. Your failures, magnificent. You are insecure. You worry too much. Were you there? Well, you'd probably be right there in the crowd crying for Jesus to be crucified, or you'd be so far away from the crowd, too scared to death to even get involved. And now that we've cleared that up, gotten that out of the way, look up, see the vastness of the heavens, the unconditional love of God, unconditional. That means there is no fear or worry. There's nothing you could do or should do to earn it in spite of whatever baggage you carry, whatever fear may be paralyzing you, in spite of the guilt earned or unearned, you are loved. Your creator loves you. And on the cross, all your fears are crucified, put to death. Yet even though your fear can be put to death, that doesn't mean the inadequacies are gone. They remain. Still, after all, you are human. But whoever said being human was a bad thing? It is what you are. It is what God created you to be. And it is what God left the vastness of those heavens to enter into the dark wood of life and become human so that we could learn how to be human and how to be like the divine. So now that we've emptied ourselves of our fear, God can then find us in our emptiness, in the forsakenness. God is there. And there is where life can begin again. Amen. In a moment, we're going to come to the table of Christ. But before we do, as we've done during Lent, we're going to have a moment, a prayer of confession. I invite you to join me in the words printed in the bulletin. As we breathe in deeply and say these words together. For filling up our lives with little room for you. For worry that outlasts trust. 
for choosing being right over being in relationship. And now here in this sanctuary, let us have a moment of silence as we breathe in deeply. Step into that emptiness. Lay your lives before your maker. Hear what God has to say to you. All of these hurts, pains, imperfections, insecurities, we empty out before the cross. And in this emptiness, in your emptiness, receive God's words of assurance to you. God chooses relationship over perfection. We are loved by God always, and no matter where we are or what we have, God is always with you, forgiving and restoring you to wholeheartedness. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we come to the table of Christ now. A table that's been prepared for us as a gift. A gift that we have not earned, but a sign of God's love always for us. It was in the moment of darkness, of betrayal, that God, that Jesus, set this table for his disciples. Where they could always remember, no matter where they were, God was there. And God is here with us now. Let us sing our hymn of communion, Be Still My Soul, number 566. We'll sing the first and the last verse. First and the last verse.